Food for Thought on News Talk 760 WJR is presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state. Here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight. Welcome back, everyone, and thanks for listening. Many people who suffer from chronic disease are age 50 and older. America's 78 million baby boomers who have participated in the workplace for decades are rapidly moving into retirement. The oldest boomers born in 1946 are celebrating their 72nd birthday this year. While most are still vibrant, many won't be able to outrun the various health issues connected to aging. The number of people in the United States aged 65 and older is expected to more than double in the next 50 years to just over 98 million people, while the number of those 85 years and older will triple to nearly 20 million. Michigan is aging even more rapidly than the nation as a whole. Its population is the 10th oldest in the country, with 15% of state residents who are 65 years and older. In many northern Michigan counties, people 65 years and older make up a quarter or more of the population. With one of the fastest aging populations in the country, Michigan will be among the states most challenged in helping its older residents maintain a high quality of life while containing the cost of age-related diseases. Michigan's ability to improve the health and health care of its aging population and indeed the broader population is hampered by the existence of health disparities. Health disparities refer to the differences in the health status of different groups of people. These groups can be based on race, ethnicity, immigrant status, gender, disability, geography, income, and other characteristics. Disparities also are widely found in what the public health experts call the social determinants of health that you've heard about before here on Food for Thought. These are conditions in the environment in which people are born, live, work, and age that affect health and the other quality of life factors. AARP research found troubling disparities across our state related to geographic location, race, and age affecting their health status, access to health care, and activities of daily living. So why do these disparities matter? Here's the impact of just one of the listed disparities. Racial disparities in health and health care result in excess annual medical cost of $2.2 billion for the total population and $1.9 billion in lost productivity. Shortened lifespans because of racial disparities in health care cost Michigan $7 billion in lost economic activity. But the racial gap isn't just a matter of dollars and cents. Eliminating racial disparities could save 140,000 life years in the state. This according to a Kellogg study. That's a lot of missed birthdays. The report, Disrupting Disparities, showed a majority of us had one or more health conditions. 39% of those who said they had multiple health issues didn't fill a prescription or see a specialist because they couldn't afford it and 31% said they lacked transportation to get to medical appointments. These are the same challenges we face in getting food to the people and people to the food. I think a food-first strategy would impact many of the health-related disparities discussed in this report. 
Here to discuss the AARP report on disparities with Jerry and me today is Paula Cunningham, the CEO of AARP Michigan, who commissioned the study about disparities in Michigan. But what I know about Paula is she won't leave it the way she found it. She wants to disrupt these disparities and create a better culture for people, communities, and ultimately our country. She is our guest. We will be right back with Paula Cunningham of AARP on this edition of Food for Thought. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. Welcome back, everyone. And as promised, Jerry Brisson and I are here in the studio. And on our phone line with us is Paula Cunningham, the CEO for AARP here in Michigan. She's my friend. And Jerry, you haven't met Paula yet in person, but you're doing so over the phone. And you've heard me say that she's one of the most uh, influential leaders that I know and a great friend as well. And so, Paula, welcome to Food for Thought. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. We should just hang up right now. That was just all the news anyone needs. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you were on our show early. when It was like our first or second show, I think. Yeah. And so uh, it's nice to have you back. And I know that you've been doing a lot of exciting and, and wonderful things since then. And one of them is this report that came out. And so I'm really excited about the topic today and, and getting through a, some really important and significant issues. Well, let's give folks a little background about you, Paula, because you've not been involved in nonprofit leadership as you are with AARP Michigan uh, for your entire career. So, g- give them a little background of where you're coming from, and um, and then we'll 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 move into the work of the report. Yeah, thank you for that. I am really, really honored to be here, and it's always fun to, to be in your presence, whether it's virtually or face-to-face, so thank you. Um, yes, I've had a, I'm probably the poster child for re-careering. Um, I, I, started, I started my career as a part-time faculty member um, at Lansing Community College, ended up being president of that uh, 30,000 student college for about um, six and a half, seven years. Um, I left there and then went to um, be CEO, um, president of Capital National Bank uh, here in Lansing, um, which is left the, the sort of the, the public sector and went to the private sector, stayed at the bank as CEO for nine years, and then thought I was going to retire and do some consulting, and now I am a state director and a head of the state of Michigan, ARP uh, Michigan. So uh, it's, been a, it's been quite a journey. It's been, um, people think that it's, it's, those are just all so, so different. You know, each, each leg of this journey has been different, but quite frankly, there are so many similarities. There are more similarities than there are differences. Uh, you know, we work with the public. We work with great teams. We work with budgets. We work with the community. Uh, we we look at the future. We build on what we see coming, not on what you know, we see currently. And so that's what I love about AARP, where I am now too. We're building on the future for those uh, adults who are 50 and older and want their future to be the best it can possibly be. Well, that's great. Thanks for the quick. I, I like the 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 poster. Um, person, for, yeah, yeah, for, uh, for re- reinventing yourself. <laughs> yes, so. I'm life reimagined. That's Paula Cunningham. <laughs> <laughs> but it certainly puts you in a great space to be talking about how uh, all of us over 50, and I think that includes all of us on the on this uh, conversation right now, um, <laughs> how life life goes on in really exciting and good ways. So we're going to take it from there, right? Absolutely, absolutely, does go on. And you know, working with students or working with those who are 50 and older, there's really 
really not much difference, quite frankly. Everyone is looking to the future. Everyone wants a career. Everyone has hopes and dreams. The dreams might be a little different, but you know they're still looking at how they how they have the best future and the best life they can have. Well, that's that's a great segue into um, in, I, I I just in way of introducing you in my monologue. Uh, Paula, I said that you're you, you probably you won't leave things the way you found it. You're going to make them better, and one of the first responsibilities that leaders have is to define reality. And I think by commissioning this report that we want to talk about, you've done just that. You've really helped to define reality of what life over 50 in Michigan and for Michigan is going to be like. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about how this report? Um, came about and what the name of the report is and what the objectives were. I wish that all of the 19 different organizations that worked on this report with me could be on the phone call today. This certainly was not a solo effort. You know, when you look at, at making a change, and you said, you said it best, Dr. Phil, when you want to define reality first. And as we looked at defining reality, we realized that there are a lot of organizations working on health care issues for, for folks in Michigan. We look, everyone realizes that there are major issues with health care in Michigan. We realize that Michigan is the, the 11th oldest uh, their population is the 11th oldest aging um, state in the nation. And so you ask the question, that's what's occurring today. Uh, what are we doing about it, and what impact will that have on tomorrow? And then you look at, okay, what's happening with the older adults? Well, they're living longer than ever. The fastest-growing segment of our population are those individuals who are 85 years and older. That's good news. It's really good news. But what are we doing about it? Um, 10,000 people turn 65 years old every single day in the country. So what are we doing about it? They contribute, older adults contribute the gross domestic product more than any other segment of our population. They vote more than anyone else. And they are vital. They're thriving. They're doing wonderful things. They're getting, working longer. But there are health care disparities. There are health care issues. And it is not the same in the upper part of the state, in the upper peninsula, as perhaps it is in southeast Michigan. And so we looked at the organizations and people who might have some kind of stake in this work in terms of health care disparities and what that, what that even means. And we brought them together and we said, let's brainstorm about what we want to do. You know, so many times organizations, particularly nonprofit and for-profit, we work in, in, in silos. We work separately and we all are working for the same or similar things, but we don't pull together. And I know our agenda is not completely the same. They don't mesh and they're not perfectly aligned, but there are some topics that matter to everyone. There are mm-hmm. some topics that, that just surpass any other um, purpose, guidelines, you know, agenda that an organization has. And healthcare is one of those topics. So bringing this group together, 19 different organizations, uh, one of certainly which was, was, was yours, and, and, and there was Mothers of Hope, Access, there was Western Michigan University did the research, and of course the Michigan Food Bank, you guys gave us wonderful, wonderful data. We pulled all that together and we said, let's figure out what we can, what we can identify as common ground, and let's move forward in those areas. That's an excellent um, description of the report and the process. And I, again, I, you know, if you can get 19 folks in the room at the same time, that alone is an accomplishment. And getting <laughs> them to agree to do the same thing is a, is a demonstration of great leadership. She's Paula Cunningham. She's the CEO for AARP here in Michigan. She's our guest on Food for Thought. Jerry, Paula, and I will be right back in just a moment. You come back and be with us. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight on WJR. 
We're back here on Food for Thought. Thanks for listening, everybody. Paula Cunningham, our guest, CEO for AARP Michigan, and uh, commissioned a report, Jerry, for that you've read about disrupting disparities, particularly um, in, as it regards aging in Michigan and health care. And um, I, I think that you've got a, a couple of questions that you want to you want to throw out there for us. It would be typical, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. pretty much. <laughs> so let's, I, I think one of the areas of the report that was that was pretty interesting, and if you're not, you know, in this work all the time, might not be thinking about, is the social equity part of the report that really said, depending on your cultural background, your racial background, or maybe your economic background, it has a profound effect on productivity, which results in lost wages, lost opportunity, and also increasing health problems. And so that social equity part of the report was fascinating and very detailed, and I'd like your thoughts about that. Yeah, you know, we we could do an entire separate report just on the the social equity part of this. Uh, we started out looking at the entire state, and we knew that the racial and ethnic um, disparities would surface, and they did. They they just automatically do. Um, they, when you talk about African-American blacks, particularly in Michigan, and how much worse they fare when it comes to um, several health indicators, some of them are lower health insurance coverage, uh, unmet household and personal care needs. When you talk about folks in the Upper Peninsula and the transportation issues that they have in terms of finding a specialist if they have to go to someone because they don't have access to broadband or to the Internet. Um, you talk about the, one of the, the, the poorest communities in Calhoun County and, uh, or, or Detroit. You know, everyone talks about Detroit. Detroit is, has the most technologically advanced city, one of the most technologically advanced in the country, but the folks there are not using that technology to their benefit. They are they're one of the, the worst in terms of connecting to that technology. And those types of social equity, race disparities um, should be enough, quite frankly. It should be enough that we would want to explore and to dissect what's going on and to fix the problem based on that alone. We all know, and I'm not going to get in on any soapbox, but we all know it's simply not enough. So what we did was we added um, another eye-opener piece to that, which was cost. But the social equity, the moral equity, um, you know, the social determinants for how people um, – they're, they're indicators for in terms of how people – what kind of quality of health care people are going to get. Uh, food insecurity is one, as you know. Social isolation came up. You know, people just don't have access. Your zip code determines what kind of health care you get. There are a ton of um, indicators here that would let you know – just on a, just glancing at this report, they'll let you know that there are some deeper issues in terms of uh, the race, ethnic, and ethnicity disparities that exist as it relates to health care as well. And one of the things that we talk a lot about on this show is that we want to change the conversation from people are needy to people are worth investing in. And the reason for that is because there's so many winners when these disparities are corrected. And it's not just the people. Now, there's, as you say, a moral and a fairness issue and other things that are also really important to us. But fundamentally, if we fix these disparities, we end up with people who are healthier, and that costs all of us less money. Absolutely. And why 
I mean, why is that so hard for people to understand? <laughs> right. I mean, it, it's, you know, I always go back, in whatever career I've had, I always go back to the simple math. You know, if you don't want to go down this road with me based on a, a moral imperative, go down. I can always show you numbers. Hmm. And that, you can just look at the numbers alone and realize that there's a savings here. Nothing in this report says we want more money. Right. And I just want to remind people, we're talking to a banker here. (laughs) It's easy to forget that from the first part of the segment, but we are talking to someone who knows about money and knows it well enough that you got to lead that bank for quite a few years. So I'm just saying, I feel like that's credible. Well, you know, I would like to think so because, you know, you you know the community. You know, I've been in this community for a long time. You you know that, you know, respect people, respect whatever their vantage point is. And if you want to win an argument, you come at it from the angle from their, their, their perspective. And this report comes at it from every perspective. Um, and cost is one of those. And it's just so simple. It's simple math. For instance, if Michigan can reduce the prevalence of diabetes, the number one uh, chronic disease in Michigan, among the, just the senior population, not everyone, just by 65, those are 65 plus, by 1%, 1%, it could decrease treatment costs by over 32 million dollars. Can 32 you million dollars. Yes, and that's by public sector consultants. We didn't come up with that number on our own. 1% would reduce costs by 32 million dollars for diabetes. And let me just throw in another little uh, important thing from our perspective. We know that when someone who's suffering with diabetes comes to be treated and they don't have yes. food at home, that is making the cost even higher Absolutely. because they're not able they're they're trading off medications with food as part of their daily struggle and so we know that food if we can get food as part of their treatment plan it drives the cost down even further Absolutely. And, and, and that's a simple thing. Like we, we went back, you know, we started talking about social equity and moral imperative and, and people. I mean, these are just human beings and we can just get them the right kind of food and get them food. Um, that, that would be the, the, the first place to start in terms of reducing cost. And even more important than the cost is reducing the prevalence of diabetes. Absolutely, because diabetes is hard to manage. Absolutely. So yes. if you're already struggling and now you're struggling with this, your life just got a lot harder. So turning the corner on that would make a huge difference, certainly for the people, but for health care and for all of us paying taxes, too. Well, the survey said that two-thirds of the respondents had one or more health conditions. Most common among them were high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease, and then depression or other mental health. So just looking at high blood pressure, diabetes, and heart disease, Draw your three circles and what impacts that quicker and cheaper than anything else? Food. Yes. And, and again, we did the, the cost analysis, uh, or public sector the cost analysis on this. Reducing each of those by 1% will have uh, millions, millions and millions of dollars of savings to the state of Michigan if they just simply reallocate how we're spending dollars now. And the number of people, I mean, just in terms of home and community-based services, the number of people, 722 people can stay at home for every person additional. For every mm-hmm. one person we send to a nursing home, we can keep three people at home. Right. And where exactly. do people want to stay? Where do they want to, where do they right. want to stay? Right. And if they're at home mm-hmm. and they can have food brought to their home, if they're at home and they can do some of the wonderful things that you're doing in terms of you know, being able to shop for the kind of food that they want and, and for snap cards can be used and not have to have delivery fees and all those kinds of things when they want to you know, have food brought to their home, that makes a difference not only in terms of the individual's quality of life, but it makes a difference in terms of how long they live as well. Well, and as we start trying to solve these complex problems, 
having a cost basis and a an impact basis, if you will, for why you do things first, second, third is really important. I, I, I think that um, the other thing that's so exciting to me is it's these kinds of partnerships. As we begin to, to really understand more and more what it takes and what the benefit of doing the right things is, we will do more of the right things and we will bring people along with us. And that is the whole point of this radio show. Well, and we appreciate you keeping the message out there and keeping the drumbeat going. And that's why it's not just AARP. I appreciate being on the call today, but there's so many wonderful organizations who are doing or fighting this battle day in and day out. And you know what? We're going to win. We're going to not only win the battle, but we're going to win the war. Mm. Um, we're working together and we're going to make this happen. She's Paula Cunningham. She's the CEO for AARP in Michigan. She's our guest on Food for Thought. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We're going to come back with one more segment with Paula. Hope you can stay with us. We'll be right here. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. Brought to you by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan. We're back. Thanks for listening, everybody. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight, and on the phone, Paula Cunningham, the CEO for AARP Michigan, and uh, our friend and uh, partner in this great work. And uh, we're we're defining reality here, Paula, with a with a, a report that you guys commissioned entitled "Disrupting Disparities." And uh, you know, I guess I, in my leadership journey. Um, the true test of leadership is about creating positive change mm-hmm. because anybody can create chaos. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they can. Amen. You know? <laughs> so, you know, the true test of leadership is can we take this definition of reality? You guys, our groups, the 19 groups involved with you have defined it now. Now, what are we going to do with it? And and can we create positive change out of that rather than just to create chaos or just to talk about it. You know, lots of reports get commissioned and they get presented, but not there's really not any steps afterwards. And I knowing you as well as I do, I know that's not going to be the case. Oh, absolutely not. Um, that, yeah, it even pains me to hear, hear, hear those words spoken, but that just simply cannot and will not, will not happen. And, and I'll tell you why. It's not just about Paula and the personal and professional mission that I'm on to see this thing through, but it's also about those who are 50 and older. It's about the ancestors and the, and the grandparents who came before us, and all they ever wanted was a better life for their children. And I am one of those children now, and, mm-hmm. and I grew up, and now I want a better life for, for seniors and for adults and for those who come after us. In order to do that, we've got to take care of the, the folks who are with us right now, you know, those who, are, who have paved the way for us. So it's, it's more than just a job. It's more more than just a report. There are people out there who are hurting, and they don't have to be. And so AARP, uh, as you you know, it's one, it is the nation's largest nonprofit, nonpartisan organization. Their sole purpose is to look out for those who are 50 and older and their communities, not just those individuals and their communities in which they live. Mm -hmm. And so this is not just another report that's going to, you know, get a, a, a flavor of the day or get a, you know, a sound bite here or there. But this has now become our marching orders. This has become um, not just mine, but the other organizations as well. We're going to reconvene. We're going to have um, webinars. We're going to meet with CEOs. We're going to work with a lot of different organizations to keep this front and center and say, here, it's not just AARP, but here's some information. How can you ignore it? 
you know, Jerry was just, we were just talking about the financial part of this as well as this sort of the moral imperative. But once you know this, how can you ignore it? How can you not do anything about it? Yeah, it is really important. And and data, information, um, setting these baselines, knowing where we're starting from and having an idea, if we did something different, what would that do? How? And so you, you're, you know, the process, the structure, the, you know, the methodology, if you will, is behind all that too. And and I think that's one of the significant differences now in my career anyway, long time in this work compared to what it used to be. You know, we used to tell a lot of nice stories and and <laughs> and important stories and those stories are still important because we're talking about people, right? right? And and we're talking about people's lives. This isn't this isn't a cold work. This is very warm. At the same time, having the kinds of baselines you can set from a report like this and then saying how did that change after several years of working together it's how we're going to be able to make the community better overall you're absolutely correct which is why we brought in both gubernatorial candidates and we talked with them and we asked them questions about this report uh, and they we, they have committed to working with us to take a look at that but it's not just you know whoever the next governor is it's also the elected officials which is why we'll be meeting with them individually and collectively to share this information with them and ask them what are they going to do about it which is why we're going to publicize this to everyone in terms of those responses the same way we did that evening we publicized the gubernatorial candidates response to this report report. Um, we know this now. I mean, this is nine months worth of intensive study from a lot of universities and folks around the around the state. We know this now. What are we going to do about it is the, is the question. ARP is going to continue to, to beat this drum and to you know, operate under with all these other 19 organizations to work collaboratively with them until something gets done. We have to. Well, I, I'm with you, Paul. I'm walking with you in this. And we've had conversations with our um, candidates for governor as well. And the the premise here that, that rings true for me in this report of disrupting disparities uh, is the place that food has to take. Yes. And that place, according to uh, Maslow's hierarchy of need, and you know, I know I'm not smart enough to argue with him, <laughs> that, that, that it has to be food first. Yes. And I don't think that you could put anything into these health disparities that would create more positive change faster than access to healthy, nutritious food. And so I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to continue the conversation, not only with you, but with the governors, uh, whoever is elected governor, and the legislature, and all of our social uh, network about the place that food has to take in a person's life if you want to affect positive change and create that positive change in their life and in their existence. There's no question about that, and we see that over and over and over again. And I think people sometimes forget that the basic needs, go back to, again, Maslow's hierarchy needs, the basic need. If you don't have those, you can never make the rest of this happen. You know, I remember, too, on the the, the conversation that we had earlier, um, which really has to do with so many of our of our older Americans and our older Michiganders always feel like somebody else needs it more than they do. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to put out on our show and I, and I will put it out as, as often as I can. 
you know, it's okay to ask for help. The The world changes around us, and, and some of that we can influence, and some of it we can't. And so, you know, I just encourage, especially uh, our, our fellow older citizens, that if you are running out of food, there is help for you. And, um, and it will make a difference, not just for you, but for everyone in your life and all of us who, are, who, are, who care and want to see a healthier, more vibrant community. And, and we stand with you on that and anything that we can do to help continue to, to send that message forward and make certain that it's heard by the people that need to hear it, how basic food is and the, the job, the work that you all are doing and getting food to those who need it most in ways that continue to maintain their dignity and their respect is just mm. absolutely phenomenal. It's a model that, that many, many other states should take a look at. So uh, we continue, we'll want to continue to work with you in, in terms of whatever it takes to get, to get people the, the, the food that they need, healthy, nutritional food that they can choose, you know, that, yep. of what they want. I mean, that just, that makes such a, such a huge difference. So whatever it takes to make, to make that happen. And that's why it's so nice to work as a collaborative and not as an, indiv- you know, not as one organization just doing all this. We're all trying to get the same thing. Right. Make the same thing happen. Well, and I want you to know how incredibly helpful it is to us that you're doing what you're doing. I mean, not only as a very, you know, strong reputation person in the community with a lot of gifts who comes alongside us and says, hey, you know what, let's work together. It, it makes us all better. It makes us all um, smarter and and more capable. And, you know, that's how we're going to solve these complex problems. So we're, we're honored for the work you're doing. We're really pleased to see the report and how we can use it to help drive the case that the th- this isn't just a pipe dream. It's not just charitable. There is a strong case to be made for this on a lot of levels, and you've really advanced all of us by getting this work done. Well, I thank you for those kind those kind comments. I appreciate that. But And, and again, I, I would just echo those to all the different folks who are at the table with us, and particularly you as well, uh, Dr. Phil. The information that you gave us from the very beginning was just so helpful in kind of jump-starting all of this. So, you know, let's continue. As I've been saying, onward. The journey continues. This is just the beginning, not the Absolutely. Paula, thanks for being our guest here on Food for Thought. Thanks for how you're investing your one handful of life. It matters. It's making a difference, and we're going to come continue to walk alongside of you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Bill. We'll be right back in just a moment. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight, presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Once again, here's Dr. Phil Knight. We're back here, Jerry. That was Paula Cunningham, um, our newest partner, I think, in this in this work of helping to create food security among some of the most vulnerable populations, in this case, senior citizens. Yeah, and Paul is fantastic. I mean, very smart. And again, you know, to solve complex problems, you got to bring people to the table that know more than you. And Paul is certainly one of them. She's uh, been very dedicated in her life to helping a lot of different people solve a lot of different problems. And to see her working on this problem just excites me because that's what it's going to take for us to have a food secure community. You know, one of the things I like about Paula is that she brings a uh, for-profit business experience to this, and she's looking at the problem through that lens. So one of the things she does is build the business case for this. And and this study, Disrupting Disparities, talks about the cost of not doing some of these things. Now, what we don't know is a point you made in an off-air conversation with me is that we've got to also put a cost on what it takes to do something. Right. And right. 
So I think that's another step that we're all going to have to take together. Well, and that is the next step, right? So we talked a little bit about you have a baseline now. You know what the disparities are. You know who is involved. So, you know, are things we say, who needs help, how much help do they need, and for how long? Right. So when you have the baseline of here's the problem, now you know when you apply a solution what it costs to apply that solution, and how much difference did it make. And that lets you know, ultimately, what the return on the investment is. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's a very disciplined approach, and it's what food security is going to require, a very disciplined approach with a cross-sector group of people who understands clearly where we started, what we did, what the new reality is, mm-hmm. and then what's most likely to be the next step to solve the next part of the problem. Well, I, I like the report, um, and and to be candid, uh, maybe social equity or social injustice, and that those words get thrown around a lot today in a lot of different contexts, and I'm probably not the most comfortable talking about those things just because the terminology doesn't we, in our world, people talk about food justice. Some of the terminology just doesn't hit me well. Now, that doesn't mean anything. That's just my own discomfort that I got to deal with. But the concepts are real and true. Well, I think when you take those words and you put something under them that helps describe what you mean in this case. So, again, social justice means a lot of things. It, it, it's not one thing. It's many, many, many things. And so when you use a word to mean many, many, many things, it creates some confusion. And so how do you turn that into something actionable? Well, you have to say, what does it mean in this case? So in this case, the report shows pretty clearly that depending on where you live, you have more or less access to health care. So that's a systematic injustice, right? Mm-hmm. If you live in the UP... You have less access than if you live in a, in a more urban area. Well, okay. So that's not your fault, right? And so when you start piecing those things together, you begin to describe a systematic injustice in a way you can comprehend. And I think the, the report actually does a pretty good job of that in saying, here's what we mean when we say there's disparities among people from different racial backgrounds. There's this many people they, that if you look at how they access health care compared to other people who are similar except for this issue, and you can see that they're worse off. Well, okay, that's an injustice, and that has to be fixed. Now, what caused it? What's going to fix it? Those are more complicated things. How do you equitably spend money from here? That's a whole other conversation. But fundamentally, the report helps lay out pretty clearly, I think, that in fact, where you grew up or what you look like does end up in giving you less access or more access to health care. So I heard a doctor speak a couple of weeks ago at a conference and he said in today your zip code determines more than your genetic code the opportunities you have for a long healthy life and i think that's a very poignant statement and nobody wants it to be that way i don't think anybody says yeah that's how it should be but you can't change it if you don't know what it is right well i think the same logic applies to food and food security and food insecurity, you know, it's where you're at, 
as geography has a lot to do with it. Race has a lot to do with it. Um, I don't like those things, but they are those things. You know, I was really happy that Paula talked about the UP. Now, we, I've, I've said on the show before, that's where I grew up. And, and it does present a lot of challenges. Rural America is struggling. It's struggling economically. And they don't have the same systems in place that urban America has for addressing some of these social problems. So I was glad she talked about that. And, you know, we have a couple of our food banks that deal a lot with these rural issues. In fact, right. almost every food bank, there's just a few of us that are that are urban gleaners certainly being... Well, but you're serving downriver. Too, uh, that's so. true. And there's some rural communities even in my area. But uh, but I think about eastern Michigan and western Michigan and uh, the, the sheer territory that they have addressing uh, Food Bank of problems. South Central Michigan and Battle Creek. Yeah, yeah. Right? Greater Lansing Food Bank up through the middle of the state, all dealing with rural counties. And so, you know, a lot of times people don't think of, of the issues we talk about, particularly food insecurity, as something that's anything more than urban, but it really does affect a lot of rural communities as well. Well, it's time for a little food for thought. The first responsibility of leadership is to define reality, and the work accomplished by AARP Michigan, Western Michigan University, W.K. Kellogg Foundation, and the Food Bank Council of Michigan, and the rest of the groups participating in this coalition have accomplished that task. They have defined reality for us. Now the true test of leadership is to create positive change out of that reality. Ignoring or denying the reality or severity of these disparities, such as seniors, food insecurity, access to health care, education, and wages in our community, is not acceptable. Regardless of how or why our seniors find themselves in dire circumstances, we as people, individuals, communities, cities, states, and as a nation, have a moral imperative to intercede in their life. Whether we do or we don't says more about us than it does about them. It truly is up to us. We can create a culture where these disparities are no more. If you missed us on our show, you can subscribe at foodsecuremichigan.org. And don't forget to follow me, Dr. Phil 14 on Twitter. Thanks for listening, everyone. That's it for today's show. And we'd like to thank Paula Cunningham of AARP Michigan for being our guest. And remember till next time, it's food first, folks. Food first. Food for Thought has been a presentation of Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.